Every year in the NFL, it's a new team. As far as goals go, we have one. Putting a fucking ring on our finger. Welcome to the Buccaneers Observer Podcast. This is Ralph Phillips. I'm Molly Bay. Today's June 18th, 2019. 82 days to kick off. Getting closer and closer. Dun, dun, dun. As the daughter would say. The daughter. The daughter. <laughs> the baby. Not a lot going on in Bucks world, but we still got some stuff to cover here. Got a follow-up. No fact checks. Just a follow-up. We had talked about leadership in the locker room. We've been discussing that the past few podcasts. And I said, well... You know, we've had so many issues with so many players having locker room problems. Just last year with Deshaun Jackson, Brent Grimes, we've had ASJ, Michael Johnson, Collins. Josh Freeman, Doug Martin, LeGarrette Blunt, Akeem Talib, Dexter Jackson. It's just, it's been, to me, it just seems like we just have not had any leadership at all in the locker room or really on the field at all. That goes to the head coaches as well. So then I asked myself, I said, I wonder how Bruce Arians has done as a head coach. So I went back and I reviewed all the Arizona news articles I could find during his tenure at the Cardinals. And I went and I reviewed forums and all that good stuff. Here's what I found. There were three players. Yeah, we can say four players that had issues while Bucko Bruce was the head coach at Arizona. One was the linebacker Daryl Washington. He was suspended for a year in 2014 for marijuana. Now, Bruce Arians became coach in 2013. Darrell Washington was also suspended four games in 2013 for drugs. He was sentenced to one-year probation in April 2014 to aggravated assault on his former girlfriend. But the incident happened on May 3, 2013, before Bruce Arians was head coach. Uh, Darrell Washington ended up not getting reinstated for three years because of failure to comply with reinstatement rules and the domestic violence issue. He was cut by the Cardinals on May 11, 2017, after he refused to take a pay cut. He has not played in the NFL since. He played 12 games for Bruce Arians in 2013. That's it. So wait, I'm confused about that timeline. B.A. comes in in 2013. This guy had a domestic violence incident on May Third, 2013, so B.A. was there. B.A. was announced the head coach, but he had not met with players or, you know, there was no team activities yet. By May? We just looked it up and their OTAs weren't till the end of May. So that makes sense. So domestic violence incident happened May 3rd, 2013. OTAs were shortly thereafter. And if I recall, the marijuana thing was right around the same time or the it happened, they found it. When he was arrested for beating his girlfriend, whatever. I can't remember all the exact details. Okay. So then he got suspended for four games in 2013 for drugs. Played for BA in 2013. 2014, he gets sentenced to aggravated assault. For the incident that happened in May. The prior year. Okay. So they weren't going to take action on him until he was actually sentenced for something. At the same time, he gets suspended from the NFL for the whole year in 2014, and then never got reinstated. Correct. I do believe he was reinstated in 2018 or 2017, but the Cardinals cut him because he wouldn't take a pay cut, and nobody's picked him up since. Why wouldn't you take a pay cut? (laughs) Well, because they wanted to pay him league minimum, I think. Yeah, that's what you take if you've been out for three years. True enough. He'll probably never see the field again. Right. Wide receiver Michael Floyd was arrested for a DUI, and he was cut two days later. Uh, the front office, they said they did not like how he handled it. That he did not tell them about the arrest or show any remorse. So he got a DUI, 
cut. And it sounds like, like Darrell Washington, he got arrested and then still played. So it seems like maybe he handled it a little bit differently as far as the team goes. Just an assumption there, but... I can't remember what it was that happened with him and his girlfriend, but it wasn't a big deal. I remember that. Right. Those things tend to get blown up. Yeah. They, I, th- I, I want to say they ended up dropping all the charges. Gotcha. Eventually, some mess. I can't remember. Then there was running back Jonathan Dwyer. He was arrested for domestic violence in an incident that happened in July 2014. He signed with the Cardinals in March 2014. He played in two games for BA in 2014, then was deactivated and placed on the non-football injury list after the arrest. Charges were eventually dropped due to insufficient evidence. Dwyer has not played in the NFL since. Then there was wide receiver Marquise Bundy was arrested April 2017 at a nightclub for disorderly conduct and failure to obey police commands. Video footage shows he really did not do anything wrong. He just kind of aggravated the cops about his lost hat. He never played in a game for the Cardinals. He was a practice squad player, activated briefly, but then cut at the end of the 2017 season. Other than that, I couldn't find anything about players quitting on the team, about there being locker room disturbances of any kind. It seemed pretty up and up. Everybody seemed to be on the same page, and they had a very good team mentality from all the comments I've read from fans and other people. So it sounds like Aaron's runs a pretty tight ship. Like I said, the one incident, two of the incidents happened right at the... In 2013, and then they kind of carried on into 2014, but they were taken care of pretty quick. Brown got a DUI, cut immediately. And then Marquise Bundy, who was a practice squad player anyhow, he didn't really do anything. I mean, he got arrested for disorderly conduct and failure to obey police commands. But if you watch the video, I'm like, I don't. The guy, he, he was just aggravated because he couldn't find his hat in the bar. And the cops kept telling him, just drop it, just drop it. And he wouldn't drop it. So they arrested him. Very, very silly. So, anyhow, other than that, I mean, those are nothing. That's nothing over, what, a six-year period? Right. And it seems like they were all handled pretty well. So, I would have to say Bruce Arians knows how to have leadership and get his team to have good leaders. Speaking of leaders, with all our talk about leadership in the Buccaneers locker room or lack thereof, I wanted to find the makings of a good leader in football. And so, I went through and... You and I kind of brainstormed a few different players that have reputations for being good leaders. And so I found some anecdotes about these players just to give everyone kind of an example of what a leader looks like. Because honestly, I haven't seen one in, the <laughs> in a long time. For the, for the decade. Right. Yes. So I'm like, well, what would that actually look like? Probably the best known current leader in the NFL is none other than Tom Brady. And the list is really long of anecdotes with him. He's been team captain since the aughts. So was Jameis Winston a team captain last year? No. Oh, Jameis Winston and McCoy, neither one of them were team captains. Correct. Man, I'll tell you what, I hope Jameis really steps it up to be a leader this year. Yeah, I agree with that. After their last Super Bowl victory against the Rams, I don't know if you remember, but right after the game and the confetti's falling and reporters just swarm him. He's just surrounded mm-hmm. by reporters. It was a so, sea of reporters. Yeah, so much so that you couldn't even move. One of the tiny sideline reporters, she got trampled, basically. Yeah, she had to have two guys were, like, holding her Yeah, and- they look like security. Mm-hmm. But he held off the media, and he said 
I'm not going to answer questions right now or hold on a second. And he sought out his teammates, the owner, you know, Robert Kraft, a few different people before he even talked to the media. Yes. And they were following him around in this big swarm and he was like pushing people away. Yeah. They were like, hey, move, move, move. You know, so the other players could get in to go talk to him. Yeah. I really thought that was awesome that he did that. This is probably my favorite story. Linebacker Brandon Spikes in 2012 was not selected to the Pro Bowl and was absolutely heartbroken about this. He said, quote, I had one of my best years in my third season. I've been playing off the charts and I didn't get picked to go to the Pro Bowl. I was moping around actually in tears and a few guys were trying to lift me up like, it's going to be all right, man. We've got to worry about what's in front of us. So then Tom Brady walks up to him and said... You think we play this shit to go to Pro Bowls? Get it together. Get your head up. We're trying to win rings. That's what it is here. That's awesome, isn't it? Screw a Pro Bowl. And in fact, Brady has had 14 Pro Bowl invitations, but he rarely goes, in part because... He's always in the Super Bowl. He's always in the Super Bowl, but also because he acknowledges that it's meaningless. You know, that's one thing I will get on the Gerald McCoy bash wagon here real quick. Uh, It bothered me that Gerald McCoy had as his profile picture in Twitter for almost two years. It was him in his Pro Bowl outfit. That was his profile picture. And you get you hear that when they talk about Gerald McCoy all the time. They always say, a six-time Pro Bowler. Like, yeah, I don't care. I really, really don't care. It's a popularity contest. doesn't mean nothing. If you're going to say that that proves that a player is good, then you have to say the opposite, that if you don't go to the Pro Bowl, that means a player is bad. So, therefore, Levante David is bad because he's never been to the Pro Bowl. That's the math I figured out. It's solid reasoning. Yeah. So anyhow, I love that. Yeah, we're not playing this game to get individual accolades and go to the Pro Bowl. We're playing this game to win a ring together. That's right. I like that. And what was it? Brandon Spikes called him the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh. That's what he called Tom Brady. <laughs> hey, you know which Super Bowl ring is Tom Brady's favorite? What? The next one. Oh. That was his line. He's won six. Tom Brady said that? Yes. When did he say that? I think uh, in January after they won the last Super Bowl. That's awesome. He, he did an interview. And that's the type of mentality you got to have as a leader. And B.A. talks about that in his book, that he wants his quarterback to expect to throw a touchdown every time he goes out on the field. you got to have it. And look at Tom Brady. He's got six Super Bowls. More than enough. I mean, any other player in the NFL would like to have just one. And here he has six, and he's still thinking about the next one. Yes. And he's done it with multiple rosters. He's made everybody around him better. Exactly, yes. Next, we have a defensive player who is pretty popular in the league, and I wasn't sure what kind of leader he was. I'm talking about Von Miller with the Broncos. Supposedly, he's a quiet leader. He kind of leads by example. We've heard that before. But this is an anecdote that I thought was really interesting because... We've kind of been in a similar predicament and didn't have anybody show up like this. So it's the 2018 season. It's October. The Broncos were two and four. They're getting ready to match up against the Arizona Cardinals. Now, Arizona Cardinals were garbage at that point also. So it wasn't like they had this formidable foe that they had to get their minds right to beat. Right, but when you have a lack of leadership in the locker room, you lose those games that you should win. Exactly. And in order to pull this team up, Von Miller made a statement. And he said, we're going to kick their ass. And that was all that it took. 
It was a Thursday night football game. They beat the Cardinals 45 to 10. Now, again, not the best opponent, but they needed that win to salvage their season. They needed that someone to come up and say, come on. I mean, can you imagine what would have happened if they lost? To the Cardinals mm-hmm. on Thursday night football. Right. Would have been a mess. Done. So he said he was going to kick their ass. How did he perform? He had four tackles, two sacks, two forced fumbles, and he recovered one of those fumbles. Wow. The defense, who before this point in the season, six games in, they had only had six turnovers, had five in one game. There you go. So that's the way you do it. You don't talk. That's the way you do it. And then not back it up. You talk and then you back it up. Exactly. It's been a long time since we've had that. It certainly has. This next guy, not in the league anymore, but when you think of a leader in the NFL, he's probably the first one that comes up, and that's Peyton Manning. After he retired, they had a whole article about him with different anecdotes that were pretty funny. The first one is from Brandon Stokely, who was a receiver from 2003 to 2006 with Peyton, and actually he went to the Broncos with them later in 2012. But... In his first year at Indianapolis, he goes in motion, runs a route, and Peyton gets pressure and has to throw it away. Well, Peyton said, I never sent you into motion. You messed up the play. Brandon's like, no, you did. So on the sideline, one of the coaches comes up to Brandon and benches him. Peyton got him benched <laughs> for screwing up. Peyton denies it to this day, but Brandon Stokely is certain that Peyton was behind that. So there's that accountability. Clyde Christensen, this one was funny. When Peyton hosted Saturday Night Live, he shot their budget in three days. He kept everyone over. (laughs) (laughs) On the SNL staff kept them overtime all week, and they tried telling him, like, this is really expensive because they got to pay all the employees overtime and all this stuff. And he said, I don't care about your budget. I'm not going out here and embarrassing myself. We're going to work until we get this right. (laughs) He's running the Saturday Night Live crew yeah. like a football team. They probably never asked him back. Yeah, so they probably <laughs> never worked so hard in their life. <laughs> this one's interesting, too. Hunter Smith, the punter from 2000, or 1999 to 2008, said that Peyton played through so many injuries. And they kind of kept it under wraps, never got out of the building. He played through a shoulder injury at one point. He wanted to be on the field no matter what. So when his neck injury sidelined him, you knew that it was bad because if he could have fought through it, he wouldn't have. Got a soldier. Marcus Pollard, a tight end from 1995 to 2004 with the Colts, said Peyton told him right away, I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to win a championship. Boom. Boom. So when they actually go to the Super Bowl against the Bears, the Bears immediately run back the opening kickoff. I remember that. I thought for sure the Bears were just going to stomp them. Was that Devin Devin, Hester? Devin Hester, yep. And Tony Dungy was in the Super Bowl, and you know he just had a hard time getting teams through the playoffs, and I was thinking, oh, man, he's going to get embarrassed right here on national TV in the Super Bowl. By Lovey Smith. By Lovey Smith. (laughs) Well, Peyton was on the sideline telling everyone, we got them right where we want them, and didn't they end up winning? Yes. Yep. Yeah, that was the only play I think the Bears had that game. <laughs> they just got beat down. <laughs> they poked the bear at that point, I think. Peyton was just like, oh, no. This is not how this is going to go down. And Peyton had this reputation for being a worker, and he expected perfection from everybody. So practice, 
you had to be on your P's and Q's. If you weren't practicing properly, he was going to get in your face about it. He was always in the film room. He always wanted everyone else in the film room with him. Actually, Clyde Christensen, they were on an airplane one night, like on a red eye, and Clyde was asleep. And Peyton had the, it was after a game, it was like one in the morning, Peyton had the flight attendant go up and wake up Clyde and have him come back to wherever Peyton was so that they could review the film. (laughs) Well, uh, Bucko Bruce talked about that in his book about Peyton Manning, how he was just a perfectionist and dedicated, and he couldn't dress himself. Right. And had to have his girlfriend order food for him. They actually talked about those incidents in that article. Did that? Yeah. Luke Keekley. This one hits close to home. He is like that as well with film. He is in the film room all the time. He's another Lisa by Example guy. But Ron Rivera caught him in the film room on Christmas Eve in 2015. Like, no one else was there. (laughs) And Ron was like, you need to go home. Don't you have family or whatever? And he's like, oh, they're not getting here until tomorrow. (laughs) So Ron was like, okay, I'm coming back in an hour. You better not still be here. And so Ron comes back an hour later and he heard a door close as soon as he was coming down the hall. And he goes into the film room, and there was a little light still blinking, so he knew that Luke had just left. <laughs> he, he timed it right. He probably heard Ron Rivera come, and was like, oh, crap. Yeah, exactly. Luke also restructured his contract in both 2018 and 2019 to create cap room. You always got to like that. Yeah. This is my last example. Richard Sherman. Legion of Boom. Legion of Boom. Back in his prime, in the 2014 NFC Championship game, he tipped away, and I remember this, in the end zone, a pass thrown by Colin Kaepernick that was supposed to go to Michael Crabtree. He tipped it, linebacker Malcolm Smith intercepted the ball, and then it sealed the victory where they went to the Super Bowl and beat Denver. Yes, let's see, that's leadership. You make a play when you need it. Exactly. Big players make big plays in big games. That's right. I have a whole slew of other names, but... Yeah, well, we might do like a little series with that. I like hearing that stuff. I mean, when have you heard anything like that from Buccaneers? I don't know. I, I can't remember the last time I heard good leadership qualities from a Buccaneer player. We'll have to look that up. I just can't think of it. No, I can't either. We heard that Josh Freeman was a worker and he was always in the film room. Yeah. And well, then we, later... We saw how that turned out. Yeah. Well, then later... Actually, in fact, I think I heard the other day... One of the Joes say, oh, he was always the last one in, first one out. Yeah, I was always suspect of them saying that about him. A lot of times they will say the exact opposite about guys, you know, when they know it's a bad look. I've seen it happen before. But, yeah, just being in the film room to me isn't, you know, I mean, that, that's a part of it. But, you know, you got to put in, you got to actually perform. And not that Josh Freeman didn't perform. He did for that one year. But... You can't destroy the team, which he did, and he tried to destroy the team. He actively had him and his agent, you know, talking crap about the front office, the coaching staff, and everything. It was that was just a mess. Exact opposite of leadership. And we've had so much of that on our team. Gosh, I can't believe Kellen Winslow would go in the locker room and on airplane trips with a blow up sex doll or or a mannequin sex doll, whatever it was. They said that's just insane to me. Ugh. While he was with the Buccaneers. Who lets that crap go on? I don't know. So anyhow, we don't have any leadership. Hopefully we're going to get some. I think uh, Bucker Bruce is going to come in and demand the leadership. I liked in the OTAs when Winston was heard 
yelling at the guys in the huddle and he said, get over here or shut up. This is my team or something like that. Yeah, this is my huddle. My huddle. Yeah, I like that. That's what you need. Discipline, accountability, blah, blah, blah. And I like it. Who else restructured? Was it Jennings? Who on our team? Didn't somebody? You know, Bo Allen. Bo Allen. That's he right, took, took a, a pay cut. Took a pay cut to stay with the team. He didn't just take, he didn't restructure. Yeah. And you know, he could have gone right back to Philadelphia and got more money just like Vinnie Curry did. Uh, Mike Evans restructured today. It was just a simple restructure, uh, creating $3.2 million in 2019 cap space. He's still going to make $20 million cash, but uh, he had previously restructured in March. But this one was totally for cap reasons, which is good. You know, he's not taking a pay cut or anything, but he, he's agreeing to manage his money to help the team out. So you got to respect that. Exactly. And the Bucks now have $7.75 million in salary cap space. And we've got pretty much everybody signed, right? Except Devin White. We don't have Devin White signed? No. Oh, man. And. Let's go take away a few million there. I think Jamel Dean. But So Mike Evans, $4 million is being converted to a signing bonus. So it'll be spread out for cap purposes over five years. That's per Greg Allman. <laughs> so I'd like to see more leadership stuff coming from the Buccaneers. You know, this Devin White guy. I think one of the reasons why they hired him or drafted him is because of his leadership abilities. Everybody said he's just immediately taken over the team. And if you see interviews with him and him talking, he's very mature for his age. He's not goofy. He's not out there talking all about Devin White. He does talk about his horses a bit, but <laughs> generally only when he's asked. We'll see, though. Yeah, he reminds me of a more serious version of Jameis Winston. Like the country accent. No. Gonna ride my horse <laughs> to the old time road. We just lost half I, of our listeners. <laughs> I, heard, I heard some kids out in the back singing that the other day. I, I'm talking like six, seven-year-old kids. They were all, <laughs> there's like four of them singing it. I think the Domicong Sioux is going to bring some leadership. If you watch the video of him mic'd up. Now, of course, these guys, you know, when they know they're mic'd up, they're going to act different and all that. But Sue just doesn't seem to be that type of person. He just kind of seems to be, he doesn't put up a show for the media, if you ask me. And I think he, the way he was walking around, everybody was following him around, especially Colston. Like a puppy. Like a puppy. And they were just asking him advice and everything. He seemed like he had no problem giving it, and he was going to do everything he could to help him out. And then there was the clip where they were showing him how to approach the tackle dummy different, or the sled different. They had him like get on his knee and hit it with a shoulder, something like that. And he'd never done it. And he did it like two or three times to get it right. And well, he, and he even said, admitted to them. And I think they even said, like, you don't have to do it. And he's like, no, I want to get it right. Right. That's leadership. I mean, here it is, a $140 million guy who's played in the league for nine years. Admits when he can't do something and then is willing to learn it. Right. On his, what was that, his first day? Right. Got to respect that. I think his demeanor is so much more serious and calm than what we've had before. Mm -hmm. And it'll be interesting to the, we were speaking about the Legion of Boom. Now, a lot of those guys that secondary were drafted together and they were all brought in at about the same time. And I think that that creates a camaraderie. I don't like drafts where you draft a offensive lineman and you draft a safety and then you draft a running back and you know what I'm saying? It's all over the place. Oh, that's interesting. Yes. Did you notice in this draft, we drafted a lot of guys in the secondary? Of course, we feel like we needed a lot of guys in the secondary, but as Bucker Bruce says, he doesn't draft for need. That's how you get fired. I think that they're trying to build a culture back there. That's a really good point. And just reading about the Legion of Boom today. 
Yeah, I if think you, you're right. Yeah, if you read and, their story, how they bonded and developed, you know. It was, yeah, and Pete Carroll went after those guys and had a particular type that he liked. Mm-hmm. Kind of like these guys, the big, strong, fast ones. Yes. So we'll see. Maybe this group coming in will take over the leadership because I, we're definitely lacking. It's not like they're going to wrench it from somebody's arms. Certainly a vacuum there. So that's what we want to see. We want to see leadership. We're going to get accountability. We know that. And I think that along the offensive line, you're going to have your leader. You're going to have your leader in the wide receiving room. You're going to have your leader in the running back room, who right now it's probably a toss-up between Peyton Barber and Ellington. Yeah, it's all going to hinge on whether Ellington makes the team or not. Mm-hmm. That's probably why Bucko brought him in to be a veteran leader in the, the running back room. But who's going to be the leadership in the secondary? Who knows? Right now. Most of those guys are on the bubble, if you ask me. Yeah. No, I don't absolutely. think anybody's got anything locked down in the secondary. It's going to be a fight in the training camp. It's going to be great. Linebackers, you got to say Devin White is definitely going to be the leader there. Although him and Kevin Minter and Beckwith are all good friends. I think that uh, Beckwith and Devin White played together at LSU, right? Yeah. So, and they're both big horse fans, right? Yes. So I think you're going to have a really, 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 really tight linebacker core. I think the defensive line is going to be really tight, too. I think Sue's going to bring them together. I think Vea and Sue are going to get a real good chemistry going. But the secondary, that's all up for all up for grabs back there. I think Whitehead is good. I like his style of play. Don't know anything about him as a player. Other than that, I don't know who's safe back there. I don't know who's going to be a leader for sure. One thing I do know is Jenna Lane, the beat reporter for the ESPN covering the Buccaneers, she sure does like her friends. Why do you say that? I don't know. Just her timeline is just filled up with all these people she's met in the industry. She's always talking about, you know, it's like selfies. She takes selfies. It's like a Facebook, whatever you call face Facebook feed. It's like her with her friends. It's weird. I don't know. Kind of freaks me out. She had a uh, status where she posted she was with the she attended the AWSM 2019, which is something about women in sports media or something like that. And she's just talking about all the lifelong friendships she's made there and all that good stuff. She's got pictures from 2008. She's got like 15 pictures of her. Just I don't know. She's weird to me. I mean, I, I guess it's all right that she's acknowledging her. But I want to see some Buccaneers news. You're a Buccaneers reporter. Report on some Buccaneers news, not all these social. She's reporting on Jenna Lane. Right? And then she posted just a little while ago about some guy that she's proud of, that she's and he's got authenticity and approachability, and he's helped her out. All this good stuff. <laughs> I don't know what this. Andrew Hawkins, two times Emmy nominated media personality, and all this stuff. I don't know. I don't care. I want Buccaneers news. It's okay to sprinkle that stuff in there every now and then, but man, if you're just going to have a feed where it's going to be about your friendships and stuff, I'm going to stop following you. I can't remember the last time she broke any news. Joe Buck's fan had an article the other day talking about Jenna Lane, one of her articles. Or no, it was, she was on the radio on Shemin and Shepard, 99.3 FM, wherever that's at. I have no idea. But she was talking about McCoy and his sensitivity. Here's what <laughs> she said. Quote, well, you know, I had heard that he was feeling really good about his visits with both the Ravens and the Browns. And I know both of those teams really, really wanted him. But then the Panthers emerged in that it was an opportunity for him to go to a division rival. And whether he's going to acknowledge this or not, because he's downplayed it, in fact, he came after me on social media for suggesting it, which, whatever, it's a free country. He's allowed to do that, although I certainly do not like having my integrity called out. That's a first for me as a journalist. But that's neither here nor there. You know, even guys, even players that are very close to McCoy agree, yeah, he wants to play the Bucks twice a year. 
And he's also one of those players where he likes to be liked by people. He does not like negativity. He can't stand it. He has come after me before because he thinks that I asked negative questions in the locker room, which I can't do anything about that. You go 5-11 for two years in a row, you know, you have double-digit losing seasons. I can't keep... I can't even keep track of how many at this point that I've covered. You know, that comes with the territory. But he is someone that really does not like negativity, and it's really hard for him to deal with it. And so with that, it's a challenging time for him. She's also the one that included a snippet in one of our articles that said when Hard Knocks came and before they started recording or something, he told all the Bucks reporters not to ask him any negative questions, like in front of the Hard Knocks cameras. So she brought that out. I found it, I thought it was so funny. We covered that on a podcast right when it happened. When she said that he signed with the Carolina Panthers because Adama Kong Sue got number 93 because it happened like right after she said that wasn't a coincidence. And then he jumps on her. That's what she's talking about there. But you know what? I like this information. No one else is talking about this information. You got to give her credit here. Well, yeah, she's talking about it now because he jumped on her. Yeah. That's, that's the only true. reason why she's saying this. She's known this for years. Why hasn't she said anything before? As a matter of fact, the comment section in this was fantastic, if you ask me. There was a guy named Lou. He said, I'm going to read this whole thing because I thought it was really good. And it's, I've got a point with all this, so bear with me. He said, this post shows how local sports reporting has let down fans in Tampa Bay. Now that Gerald is gone, we get to read stories and opinions like this one. For a decade, this stuff was hinted at by reporters and talked about in comments by T-Max and other commenters. Like your Kellen Winslow post earlier, why wasn't this known and talked about years ago? Did the Buck media know this but keep it quiet, or did they just not know very much? Steve Dumig, for all his bluster, fell into the speak-no-evil crowd. I well remember his loud claim about how Shiano had mistreated the sainted Freeman. He said, I know things that you don't know. It sure seems like some posters on this website were better informed than the voice of Tampa Bay Sports. We are told that the local reporters have great inside sources but can't tell scoops because it would burn valuable contacts. But what value are contacts and scoops that can't be used? And don't let me get started on the national press. Ian Rappaport comes to town and in one day gets access and scoops that the local talent hasn't come up with in months. And he's not afraid to publish it. And he keeps getting sources to talk to him. What gives? Great, great response. He didn't really attack the media. He wasn't calling them names or anything, but he's, that's what you want to know. It's like, why is it that all we've heard about Gerald McCoy for nine years is how great he is, but then he leaves, he gets in a fight with one of the porters, and now she's going to turn around and say, oh, he's sensitive, and he wouldn't ask, he doesn't like to ask negative questions, and blah, blah, blah. Why weren't you saying that years ago? Why weren't you bringing up the Kellen Winslow stuff? Well, Joe, one of the Joes responded to that comment, and he said quite a bit of stuff, basically given reasons why they can't, give their scoops. And he said that they had never heard anything about Kellen Winslow being a chronic masturbator in the locker room or anything (laughs) like that. But I picked out some phrases that he used. And we've talked about this on the podcast about access media and why it's an issue. When you rely on access to these players through the Buccaneers organization, you don't want to do things to lose your access. So you're not going to give us the real story. You're going to give us just enough that you think is okay with the Buccaneers organization because you don't want to piss them off and have them snatch your access. They use that as leverage, the organization. They have that leverage over the media. Right. And we don't know if they actually use it as leverage, but these guys are definitely scared of losing their access. And I'm like, why, why are you so concerned about your access? Because all the stuff that they do, all these press conferences, I can watch that. I don't need the questions they ask. 
half the time they're silly. You're not getting anything out of these questions. You're not going to get anything out of a press conference. I mean, when was the last time a press conference really would go, oh, that was some good information there. We learned a lot from about our team. Eh, it never happens. And then half the stuff they say in press conferences are just blowing smoke anyhow. So why not actually go out and do some real investigative reporting? How in the world could you not know about Kellen Winslow doing all this stuff? I mean, unless the only thing you got information from was press conferences and talking to guys in the locker room. And when these guys talk in the locker room, they're not going to tell you stuff like that. They're just going to tell you stuff to get you away from them. They're not your friends. They know what you're there to do. It's kind of like, it'd be kind of like if the Washington Post only wrote about what Sarah Sanders said in a press conference. If they didn't do any investigative reporting, if they didn't find out anything else, if all they ever commented on was what Sarah Sanders and the administration told them. Man, that would be a crappy newspaper. So anyhow, Joe responded back to Lou in the comments, and here's some of the things he said. I just took out little clips. He said, quote, Joe is under the microscope of the Bucks. Joe very likely would have had his credentials revoked for reporting such a lurid act without serious, reliable attribution. Other times, Joe simply doesn't want to get sued or lose his credentials for reporting something that is simply too fantastic to believe, even though it may be salacious. He also said there are outlets at one buck palace that beg the bucks to yank Joe's credentials. Now, if you're not familiar with Joe Bucks fans, that's how they talk. They use a third person. They say Joe's, but there's two of them. Steve Edsbitz and Lita Camper. They just call themselves the Joe's, which I think it's funny, I think, but a lot of people don't like it. So anyhow, as you can hear from his response, what they're worried about is having their access taken away. For some reason, they think if they don't have access to the locker room, they're not real reporters, I guess. Because I swear, that's where all these people are getting all their information from. I think that's one of the reasons why all the reporters are so upset about McCoy being gone, because I think McCoy was their biggest accessible person in the locker room. He was always talking to them and giving them stuff. He probably was calling them on their cell phones and giving them information. Obviously, he wasn't giving them information that was good, like Keller Winslow or what happened in 2011 on that plane trip to London. It was probably Kellen. You know, you said that last time, and yeah. I got to thinking, that's probably it. Akeem Tlaib was about to punch him in his face. Yes, he was probably in the, on the plane masturbating, and the Akeem Tlaib or somebody or Blunt was like, man, stop doing that, and the coaches got involved and everything, and it just blew the team apart. Who knows? So anyhow, all the media, we're talking about Rick Stroud. I'm even going to throw Greg Allman in there. Joe Buck's fan, Pewter Report, Mike Cook, Scott Reynolds, all those guys. They're access media. They depend on the Buccaneers to give them credentials to get in the locker room. So they're not going to tell us stuff that might that the Buccaneers don't want you to know. I would like to see some investigative reporting done by guys that don't give a crap about getting access. You don't need access to the media to report on the Buccaneers. But I wonder if you don't have credentials, are members of the team going to speak to you? Who cares? What are they going to say? Guys on the team aren't going to tell you anything you need to know. I don't know. if there's. I mean, who else is your source going to be? If you can't speak to anybody in the front office, they're not going to talk to you if you don't have credentials. Reporters do it all the time. They get these anonymous sources. They talk to friends. They talk to family. They talk to acquaintances. They talk to previous employers. They beat the bush. We don't get that. I don't think that's in sports media. Sports media just does not seem to do that. They just really depend. It's a weird, weird setup that goes on in sports media. You hear all this stuff. It's like the Aaron Rodgers crap. I had no idea Aaron Rodgers was such a jerk and that he was causing so much problem in Green Bay. Of course, I don't follow Green Bay reporters, but I don't think they ever came out with this mess. Right. We would have heard it in any case. Was it Sports Illustrated? I think so. That wrote that article. It wasn't even a Green Bay beat writer. Right. 
No, Bleacher Report. It was Bleacher, Bleacher Report. Bleacher Report. Yeah, those guys. I mean, they don't have access to anybody. They go, they're not going into locker rooms talking to players or at press conferences. I just found that very interesting that Joe basically admitted that they're access media, and that's something we've talked about here on the podcast quite a bit. Because we give the media a hard time, but I like all these people. I'm not here to have people lose their jobs. That goes for media. That goes for coaches. It goes for front office people. I don't want nobody to lose a job. I'm just saying accountability, man. Do your job better. I'll be like Bucko Bruce. Your reporting's bad, but I'll hug you afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I'll yell at you for your bad reporting, but then I'll hug you afterwards. <laughs> there was a guy in the comment section of that article, and this was great, and we got to talking about this because we talk about, me and Molly sit around, we talk about Buccaneers all the time, and one of the things we talk about is how Bucko Bruce is a psychological guy. I mean, he likes to play psychological games. You have to to be able to manage people well. Yes, and if you see, he's not out there on the field. He's not Sean McVay. He's not running around on the field throwing footballs with guys and everything. No, he's riding around in a golf cart. And he's basically just managing his coaches. I think if he stops his golf cart and walks over to a player, either they are getting ready to be chewed out really bad or getting ready to get cut. I mean, I think if you see Bruce Arians stop that cart, he's walking over and he's like, did you miss your son's recital the other night? (laughs) I told you, don't miss family events. I will cut you if you do that again. They didn't have a lot of time for family events then. True enough. So I think B.A. is more about the psychological aspects of the game. He himself is not out there coaching these guys. He's going to psychologically basically manipulate them. We see him doing it in the media. It happened almost immediately. Even the reporters were caught off guard by it. They're reporting on all this stuff, and the next thing you know, they're going, wait a minute, he's saying something's not right here. He's playing us, what they all came down to. Well, this commenter said in that article, he said he wants to see (laughs) Sue lined up as a fullback on the goal line against the Panthers and watch him pancake McCoy. He said that would be a good, smart idea. Now, he was probably commenting this as just something funny, but I went, oh, my gosh. Oh, I could see B.A. doing that. Totally see him be doing that. I can tell you one thing. He is going to screw with Cutter's head when we play him. I bet you he will run the same routes that Cutter runs. Because that happened with Cutter. With uh, I think Ron Rivera. Yes, Ron Rivera. Yes, took Cutter's best play. That tight end wagon wheel thing that we did with OJ did it to us. Oh man, it was it was like oh wow, that was awesome. And, and a couple of the things on the goal line too, he did. But you're going to see Ba do those too. He's going to he's going to mess with Dirk Cutter's head. Well, he talks about it in the quarterback whisper that he likes to get off to a fast start because it's so demoralizing. Mm-hmm. For defenses and teams. And I mean, he talks about it with his own quarterbacks, yeah, too. So it, that, it, you know, the mental state. The mental state to him is one of the most important things, if not the most important thing. And he says that about the team, too. He says the difference between good and elite is razor thin. And he believes that razor thin difference is confidence. So that's why you hear him talking up Rojo and Peyton Barber and all these guys that you're like, what? Because he wants these guys to have confidence to go out there and play it in the elite level. You know, we've talked about this as what, you know, things that could tear this team up this year. And one of them was getting beat by the Panthers in week two and Jeremy McCoy having a good game. But what could really solidify that? This is the exact opposite is if we smack the Panthers down and beat McCoy with Sue. I mean, could you imagine if he put Sue in as a fullback on the goal line and he runs over top of McCoy <laughs> for the game winning touch or some crap like that? Oh my gosh. The, the team would be. They would follow that guy into battle anyway. 
So I'm excited. We're going to see all kinds of stuff like that this year. And I'm not worried about this offense against defenses because when B.A. was in the NFC West, that was a defensive division. Yeah, they had the Legion, Legion of Boom. They had the Rams, mm-hmm. who couldn't beat anybody but everybody in their division. I mean, yeah. they, they went, I think, 8-8 eight and eight one year, and all eight of their games were from their division. Right. They, they went undefeated, I think, almost two years in their division. Right. And then San Francisco, who made it to the NFC Championship in 2014 against the Seahawks. Yeah, was that back when they they had that monstrous defense with Roman? And Roman they had and, Kaepernick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, I'm not worried about our offense at all this year. No, I was ups- I was sad when we got rid of Cutter because I was like, oh my gosh, there goes that good offense that we had. And then when we hired BA, I was ecstatic because he's the only one I know of that runs the same type of offense but is better than Cutter at it. So I was like, man, this is this is a dream come true. And actually, everything he's done so far has been a dream for me. I am so excited about this year. Oh, one more thing about McCoy. Did you see he got the snow cone truck at the Panthers practice? <laughs> I said he must own stock in the ice industry. <laughs> the ice industry. <laughs> That's funny. You want to see a good movie, speaking of ice industry, was Sylvester Stallone's first movie. It's called Paradise Alley. He plays the brother of this really big guy. Who carries ice. This is back in the days when refrigerators, you had to get blocks of ice to put in the refrigerator. There was no, I'm not even sure if this was, there was electricity. I know they were driving around in cars, so it must have been electricity. I don't remember. Anyhow, refrigerators weren't running on Freon and all that good stuff they are nowadays. It was basically just a box. It was an ice box. So this guy, he was a huge dude, and he carried these big blocks of ice up steps to people's houses, and that was his thing. And Sylvester Stallone was his brother, and then he got him into wrestling. A great movie, really good. It was actually a precursor to Rocky. It was kind of the same thing, the same plot line and feel and all that good stuff, but it was a really good movie. So that was the first movie where he got typecast in. Patriot! <laughs> it's got a very small range. Josh McCown announced his retirement after 317 years. The he- Onion Sports <laughs> Network <laughs> reported he signed one-day contracts with the Bears, the Browns, the Bucks, <laughs> the Jets, every, the Jets <laughs> all the teams he had played with so he could retire. It was a long list. <laughs> Josh McGowan, he was something, man. I think he's going into broadcasting or journalism, one of them. I heard he's really, really smart, like football smart, and people are saying that he's going to be a very good broadcaster. Interesting. I'm looking forward to hearing from him. We get that gem Tony Romo and I think everyone's going to try to recreate that success. I think Tony Romo is going to be known as much for his broadcasting career as he will his football career. Probably more so. Yeah. The only thing I can say about Tony Romo's football career was muffin that a place kick. That's what he will always be known for. His uncanny ability to choke every time. <laughs> I think his best play was when he called the game when that cat was on the field. Was it a cat or a squirrel? A cat. It was a cat. Oh, that was hilarious. That's when I went, this guy's going to be great at this. He was calling it just like it was a running back running down the field. See how broad his stance is? <laughs> He's cutting. <laughs> he was dead serious, too. As a player, though, the one thing you can't knock him for is he was tough. Oh, yeah. Dude played with a broken collarbone, broken a punctured lung, punctured lung, a broken back. You don't get that much anymore. And we want to thank everybody out there for sharing the podcast with your friends and fellow Buccaneer fans. If you get a chance right now, whatever app you're in, just hit the share button. Send us to Facebook or Twitter or, I don't know, wherever. Whatever you like. We're not choosy. 
that's going to wrap it up for us. If you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter at Bucks underscore Observer, by email at mollybay at buccaneersobserver.com or ralph at buccaneersobserver.com. We're also on Facebook and the World Wide Web at buccaneersobserver.com. And don't forget to subscribe to us on YouTube. While you're at it, subscribe to the podcast. We're going to have another one out Friday, see what kind of news we got. If we don't have any news, we'll talk about something. We always find something to talk about. We got too much to talk about. We just like getting behind a mic and blowing smoke. Well, the thing of it is we don't even need a microphone. This is what got us in the podcast. And we're sitting around. We're like, you know, we talk about the Buccaneers all the time. We might as well put a microphone here and record some of it. Because we would we would sit here and do analysis and break stuff down. And we were just watching Vita Veo last night. Yeah, we're not even had nothing to do with podcasts. We're just like, hey, you want to watch some Vita Veo? Okay, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I'm not into the film like Ralph is. It's it loses me a lot of times because you critique the broadcast version because most people just watch the ball. Well, I watch the ball. Right. So it's hard for me to watch film and either follow which player we're watching or not get distracted. And especially when there's no audio, mm-hmm. I get distracted easily. With all that being said, that Vita Vea film was the most entertaining thing I think it's we've fun, watched. It's fun, isn't it? He's just fun to watch. He's a, he's a what do you call him? I call him the bear because he's a grizzly on the field and a teddy bear off the field. And plus the way he tackles sometimes, he just does this big oh bear gosh. hug. He's like, oh. I don't want to see that monster coming towards me on the field. Right? It'd be like a bear coming after you. What do you do? Right. And he's fast like a bear, too. You I heard you beat a pan. <laughs> you think you that make would, a lot of noise. You think that would work against Vita Vea? You could try. Just beat a pan. <laughs> you got no other hope otherwise. All righty, guys. Till next time. Go Bucks.